Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for March 9th, 2018. On today's episode, we will be talking about a bunch of news. And in the water cooler, we'll be talking to Jacob, who went to Westworld. Uh, joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer, Chris Evangelista. Hello. So, guys, yesterday on the podcast, uh, I mentioned that I was kind of thinking that my opening spiel, teasing all the news items we were going to be talking about on today's episode, uh, was kind of a waste of time. And boy, did you guys email us at peter at slashfilm.com. I got dozens of emails, and uh, the consensus seems to be that either people didn't care or that people didn't want it. <laughs> a lot of people saying that they hit the uh, you know 15 second skip button a couple times when it comes up. So uh, I think we're just gonna get rid of it and just put it in you know put we'll, we'll have the items in the show notes and have it in our titles unless we get a huge backlash of people saying they wanted it. Uh, I think we're getting rid of uh, the big opening telling uh, telling you what we talked about. I mean wh- when you tune in to the news every night. Uh, do they tease all the stories you're going to be talking about on the news? 
No, I, I don't think so. Not all of them, you know, like yeah. just before commercial breaks and stuff. But. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, so, uh, you know, maybe we might tease like the big story or something, but I think we're, we're going to, uh, you know, say goodbye to the, the long list of news stories. You, you can see that on this, the show notes and on the site. Uh, but first off, before we get into the news, and joining us for the water cooler is our special guest slash film managing editor, Jacob Hall. Hey, I'm a special guest. Yes, uh, Jacob is in the deep end of South by Southwest, the uh, festival that happens every year in Austin, Texas. Uh, but we 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 have you on the phone today. Uh, you're not in front of your mic as usual uh, because we hear you got to go to Westworld. Yes, this was a very cool thing. Uh, every year, HBO brings some kind of exhibit to South by Southwest to promote whatever their big show is, and usually it's been Game of Thrones. But there's no Game of Thrones returning this year, so they went all in on Westworld, and they went all in in a huge way. They uh, essentially created an entire Westworld experience 30 minutes outside of Austin where they they shuttle you in. Well, well, first you meet at a neighborhood bar in Austin downtown, and then you go through security. Everybody's dressed in white like they are on the show. They have cocktails. It's very, uh, very fancy, and you get assigned either a white or a black hat, cowboy hat, uh, and then you get on the uh, bus and you drive out the Westworld. And for fans of the show, you recognize everything immediately. You enter this really spiffy entrance where there's a robotic woman or an actress playing a robot uh, with a big glass case of weaponry. And there are white and black hats in the wall. And there's this long white tunnel. And you can, everybody's taking pictures and wandering through. And then you walk through this doorway at the end and you're on the train from the from Westworld, where the guests first arrive to go to this theme park inhabited by cowboy robots. And then you start meeting all the actors, and there are dozens of actors scattered throughout this entire experience, all of them pretending to be robots who are uh, programmed to pretend to be cowboys. And according to the uh, press notes we were sent, there's a 444-page script that all the actors are following on a loop. Uh, How long is the loop? uh, I, I presumed around 90 minutes. I couldn't quite pinpoint it exactly. Uh, but, uh, it's, but it's not like there's one story going on. There seem to be dozens of stories. Like when you first enter town, there are maybe eight to 10 buildings, uh, like a, a, a saloon, a general store, a photography shop, uh, the sheriff's office and all these other various areas. And they're just actors wandering around having conversations and you can choose like just stand by and listen to them talk, or you can walk in and engage them. They'll improvise with you and talk to you and get you involved in conversations. Like the first thing I did when I entered town was a uh, a woman from New York City, um, a suffragette, a leader of a suffragette union, asked me if I would come to the meeting tomorrow to help get help get women the right to vote. But she said I could only come if two women vouched for me. And I kept on running into her throughout the evening, and she kept on t- um, trying to get me to convince other men, aka the other cowboys in town, that women should have the right to vote. And the actress remembered this and kept me involved in it. And but there are so many other characters. There were like ne'er do wells and criminals and outlaws and the, the sheriff who I went and chatted with. He warned me about other people in town saying, don't go toward these people. They're they're uh, rotten and they're up to no good. So naturally, I tried to go and find them. And I found their storylines and there'll be incidents like you'll see a fight break out and somebody gets beaten up. And then uh, the guy's friends show up and try to find out who did it. And if you decide to follow one of the friends, you keep on following that storyline. And you can choose to be as passive as you want. And just kind of sit down with a drink in hand and watch it all happen around you. Or you can be really active and actively pursue the storyline, try to figure out what's going on and replay the loop several times to find every character, every bit of dialogue, every single 
incident happening in the story. And I was I was there for a few hours. I, I didn't see everything. There were some characters I kept hearing talked about who I didn't get a chance to meet. But it was such a cool, immersive thing. And we're actually going to have an article running on the site soon where I took a lot of photos. I'm doing a, a larger report on it because I didn't want to just do a, hey, this was a cool article. I want to write a, um article about how this feels very much what we could expect from, like, Star Wars land, opening in Disney theme parks, where everybody's in character and everybody's taking it very seriously. And you're asked to engage in storylines. And even though it's just a South by Southwest pop-up exhibit, it was incredibly impressive. And it feels like the next step in this kind of entertainment. And it felt like I was playing a video game. It felt like I was at a theme park. It felt like I was engaging with a different type of narrative storytelling. I was really thrilled by it. And, of course, there were Westworld Easter eggs. Like, at one point, a samurai started wandering around as if he was malfunctioning. Which, as if you've seen the show, you know there's more than one park. There's a, there's a Shogun world located next door. Uh, so it was very odd and very fun. And there's a weird cave in the very back of the exhibit. Or if you find a hidden button and push it, a wall opens up to a secret passageway. Or a Westworld employee is building a Westworld robot, like sculpting it and checking a data pad. And it was just full of little details and things to discover. And at the very end of it all, it led to this massive culmination where all the plot threads came together. And there was a massive malfunction of robots. And Westworld security had to come in. And then uh, the Westworld employee are, are, are yelled they, out. Are like, people in code. hazmat suits, like the show? Yeah, they all came on the white suits because a robot kept on trying to injure another guest, an actor pretending to be one of the guests. And uh, so all the security had to come in, like grab him and hold and like wipe his memory. And another employee had to shout out a code word, which caused all the other robots like go blank and walk back to their positions. And the storyline started over again. And that is so it was cool. just it is very cool. And it helped that there were free drinks and some people. Uh, engaged it in like more casual ways like they just wanted to um have drinks eat the brisket that was around and to sort of observe and take it in other people were t- like i was trying to play in character i would split off and i would have conversations with the robots robot cowboys as if i was a guest trying to play a video game and trying to solve it like i would i would i wouldn't like trick them or try to be cooler than them i would have human to human conversations and try to get surprising answers information from the actors and i found it very rewarding but i feel like you, you could enjoy it both ways yeah, you sent and, you sent us a photo. There was just like people playing poker in the saloon. Yeah, there was. It was fun because when, when I first walked in the saloon, there were three actors at the poker table, all playing poker, but they were empty seats. Kept inviting people to come join them. So throughout the night, there were these actors in character as cowboys playing poker uh, with guests, like with visitors, actual humans. And the fun part was I missed it, but apparently at one point a bar fight broke out with one of the actors at the table. So it's literally people are playing poker, and the actor gets into a fight and. Oh, wow. it has to, and I cast to rejoin the game after getting this big fight. And I there, there, there just really awkward moments, like I, I, one of the saloon prostitutes approached me. I didn't know how to handle myself because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm awkward at the best of times. Uh, but it was, it was a really cool thing. And it's really, really limited. Uh, it's only running it for a few days to self-buy, and the passes are hard to come by. But if, you, if you're doing self-buy this weekend, and, you can, and if you can find a way to get into it, Man, I recommend it, and I hope HBO maybe takes us on tour, maybe tries it out Comic Con or something. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the space is here for it in Austin to have like the, the land to do it. Uh, but it was a very cool thing, and I think Peter, it's a theme park fan. Just oh yeah, blow your mind. When you were telling us about this in the slash film Slack, I was like, this is everything I want Star Wars Land to be. Uh, you know, I feel like I would get, you know, if Star Wars Land was this, I would live there. For like days, just trying to <laughs> trying to see every possible storyline, every possible character, you know, follow their stories around. I've always been intrigued by, um, oh my god, I forget what what's that play in New York 
where it takes place in an apartment building and you can follow I think it's called sleep no more sleep no more yes. I've, I've never seen it but i've always been obsessed with that idea and to have that on a grand theme park level it just sounds amazing uh ben do you have any thoughts on this yeah, I'm super jealous. This sounds really, really awesome. Uh, even as somebody who is uh, often frustrated with the storytelling in the first season of Westworld, there's something undeniably awesome about being able to step into that world yourself. And yeah, I think, Jacob, your your comparison to Star Wars Land and, um, you know, I feel like this is just the beginning. And that sounds like you had a really great experience just with like the appetizer of what this kind of thing could eventually become one day. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited to read more about your experience there. It makes me jealous that I'll never be able to experience this. Like, you know, you know, things are being turned into theme park lands like Avatar, but I don't see Westworld ever being turned into a theme park land. That just seems like a bad omen for that uh, park. (laughs) Uh, But that would be so cool if, you know, someone – uh, obviously, you know, Disney wouldn't do that, but maybe, you know, Universal or one of those uh, Warner Brothers theme parks. That would be so cool to have that kind of immersive experience in a theme park in Westworld. Um, but, uh, J- Jacob, what, what are you excited to see at South By before I, we leave you? Um, I'm actually, the, I, I'm, this is a cheap answer, but I'm actually most excited to see a movie we already viewed on the site called Hereditary, a horror movie uh, that's uh, playing on Sunday night. But there's a lot of cool stuff. I'm looking forward to... Um, new movie uh from uh help me out here the, the director <laughs> uh the director of um the foot fist way in observant report whose name is blanking on me right now oh jo- jody hill oh. yeah jody hill has his new yes. movie uh playing at the festival and he hasn't made a, a feature since observant report in 2009 so that's what i'm most excited to see there's also isle of dogs a quiet place uh blind spotting uh it's gonna be a really good year and it's gonna be me meredith borders and matt donato all running so you look forward for our coverage from now through next saturday okay i'm, I'm sure people listening to this will be watching our coverage on slashfilm.com thanks for joining us jacob all right thanks a lot guys okay there's one thing i wanted to bring up in the water cooler it was this quote uh yesterday i was listening to this uh magic podcast for magicians and uh this magician named jared Koff. uh he He's one of the greatest magicians in the world. Uh, people don't know of him. He helped create the practical effects for a ghost story. And he, he kind of gave this quote that I've been thinking about for the last 24 hours. And I, I think it's probably something that probably uh, is more geared towards a magician than movie audiences. And I know I'm, I'm kind of pushing this by uh, bringing my other passion into the pop culture uh, podcast. But uh, bear with me for a second here. Uh, the quote was, all great artists are magicians. But not all magicians are great artists. Therefore, not all magicians are magicians. And I, I've been thinking about that because that, that's so profound to me. You know, I'm, I'm seeing magic every week at the Magic Castle and I'm, I'm you know, getting more serious about uh, my magic and trying to build a routine and come up with, a, uh, you know, I want to make something that is not just a series of tricks, but is more of uh, something, a story and, you know, feels like art, something that will move you and something that will make you, you know, thoughtful and make you think, uh, the kind of stuff that like, uh, magicians like Derek Delgadio are, are doing. Um, so I want, I wanted to bring up to you guys, because I was thinking about this, uh, like, you know, why, why is it that people don't really consider magic and art? And I, the only thing I could kind of come to the conclusion is one of two things. And that is, Number one, a lot of old magic is kind of hokey. 
like you know uh sponge balls and you know they dress weird and like it's just like i don't know it just feels kind of like goofy it's like a a magician for child parties kind of thing like uh, you know no one considers like the clowns a child's party like artist but uh i'm sure you do when you go to cirque uh, shows um, and the other thing uh, I, I, the conclusion I came to is that magicians are secretive and they don't let people or people that aren't magicians in on the process of like how magic is created and how it's performed and all that goes into it you know uh, would if we were watching movies and we didn't have like you know these behind the scenes documentaries and like all the art that goes into it and these interviews with these actors and directors and writers and uh, would we, you know, have less of an opinion of, of movies as an art? So I'm wondering, like, is it, uh, I wondered what you guys thought. Do you think part of the reason why, you know, the general public doesn't think, uh, magic is an art is that, you know, we don't kind of get to see that creation process and we don't like people aren't kind of let into the world of, you know, how much work and details and misdirection and, uh, that that stuff goes into it. Ben, do you have any thoughts? Um, man, I that's a big <laughs> that's a big question, Peter. Um, you posted in our slash film Slack uh, earlier today Tom Cruise's um, Oscars opening monologue uh, that he delivered right after September 11th, and he mentioned that there which, was, which a, was written a... by Cameron Crowe. I had no idea until I found that on Reddit today. Yeah, so that was really cool, and and I watched that, and I thought it was really great. And he talks about how somebody asked Billy Wilder, um, you know, what makes movies special, essentially, and his answer his answer was a little bit of magic. So I feel like there's some connection there, um, you know, that uh, amid all of these things that you're talking about. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have any any other thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, ma- like a lot of people definitely don't uh, think about magic being an art just because it's always been kind of just. Uh... I don't know, a, a, a sideshow, if you will, for lack of a better term. And a lot of people yeah. don't necessarily connect art with those kinds of things. But, you know, tying that into the idea of movies being magic, too. I mean, movies essentially, by definition, are a trick because the only reason we're seeing images move is because the frames are moving at the speed in which that we perceive motion. So movies in themselves are a trick of like tricking our eyes into thinking that we're watching things move when really we're watching a bunch of stills being moved in front of us. And on top of that, you know, there's plenty of other tricks that go into it, too, whether it's visual effects or, you know, putting sounds where there aren't any sound. So, I mean, every facet of movie making is, de- is definitely a trick. And there's there's absolutely an art to it because, you know, you have to have somebody who pays close attention and meticulously crafts these things so that they actually form some semblance of a story and trick us into believing that we're watching something unfold in another world. Uh, I think that's a really uh, fascinating observation. And, and not just the technology, which, you know, is a great observation from you, but even, you know, as a storytelling device, you know, everything that we're watching on that screen is a lie. But we are getting emotionally invested in in this lie. Um, I remember, you know, when I was in high school, I was big into professional wrestling, uh, you know, WWE. And uh, so many times when I tell people, you know, I was I was a fan, which I'm not any longer. But uh, back then I was uh, during like the Attitude Era. Um, I would tell people and they'd be like, you know, you know, that's fake, right? And that used to bother me because, you know, I'd respond like, uh, you know, do you watch The Simpsons? And they'll be like, yeah. Do, you know that's fake, right? 
Like, should that matter any? Like, if it's entertainment, it's entertainment. And it it just seems, um, I don't know, I also think maybe it's that a lot of magicians, like, pretend to be, uh, you know, to have powers. That, like, you know, it's kind of like uh, maybe a scam. Uh, Chris, do you have any thoughts on this? I'm I'm interested in your point of view. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm an outlier in that I actually have always sort of considered magic and art. I mean, I'm not as well versed in magic as you are, obviously, but I've never thought of it as anything less than an art form in some way. I mean, it's, it's a piece of entertainment, but that's what, you know, most entertainment is art in some ways. I mean, even like, even the trashiest form of entertainment can still be considered art if it's, you know, if it has that goal. So I've never really separated it like that, but it's interesting that some people do. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, something to think about. If you have any uh, thing to contribute to this conversation, you can always send it to me in the mailbag at peter at slash dot com. But let's get into the news. We have a lot of it. We're definitely going over uh, our, our minutes today. But let's start with uh, the Bloodshot movie. We have some casting news. Chris, what do we know? Yeah, so uh, Vin Diesel, who's already part of several franchises already, is joining another franchise, and that is this film Bloodshot, which is adapted from the Valiant comics of the same name. Uh, uh, Dave Wilson, who has worked with um, Tim Miller, the director of Deadpool, is making his directorial debut on the film. And it's being described as in the vein of 80s action movies like RoboCop. Uh, so, I mean, that alone makes it sound somewhat interesting. I'm I'm not really familiar with the character as a comic. I've never read it, but uh, I sort of like Vin Diesel, I guess, sometimes when he's in the right role. Like, I liked the latest Triple X movie, so maybe this will be fun. I don't know yet. I guess we'll see. I'm not so sure about these Valiant comics. Uh, they're trying to build like a whole uh, universe of uh, movies. We'll have to see. Uh, but let's move on uh, to Call Me By Your Name. It was uh, one of those films that was talked about quite a bit at awards time. Uh, turns out it's getting a sequel. Ben, what do we know? <laughs> yeah, we've known um, that Luca Guadagnino, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that. Uh, he's the Italian director of Call Me By Your Name, and he's been talking about making a sequel for months at this point. Um, but uh, we actually know now, he, uh, I guess on this past Sunday night on the Oscars uh, red carpet. It seems like the Oscars were so long ago, guys. But uh, just this past Sunday, he was talking with uh, USA Today and he confirmed that he's already working on the sequel. He said, I'm already conceiving the story with Andre Asiman. I believe that's how you say that guy's name. He's the person who wrote the original novel on which Call Me By Your Name is based. Uh, And uh, Guadagnino's quote is, it's going to happen five or six years afterwards. So almost in 1990, it's going to be a new movie, a different tone. You'll see a lot of the East Coast of America. They're going to go around the world. Um, When asked if the original cast of Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet will be coming back to play Oliver and Elio, he said, of course, how can we not? So um, to me, that that means that they're sort of writing the movie with them in mind, but it's still unclear whether or not those actors have like literally signed contracts saying that, yes, they will reprise those roles. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that sort of uh, changes the vibe of the movie a lot because the first film obviously was set uh, in the Italian countryside and it was so, um, you know, it's a very sensual movie and, and very much dependent on its location. And now we're going to be going to the East coast of America. So that's like a totally different, uh, 
aesthetic and uh i'm i guess i'm kind of interested in seeing what happens with these characters you know i i for me personally i feel like they should probably leave this alone because the first movie ends so well but if they are going to come back and do another one i'm glad that the same director is going to be a part of it and i'm i hope that the same actors will be a part of it as well chris is this a sequel that you can get excited for yes i will see this i loved call me by your name um I do agree with Ben that it probably doesn't need a sequel because the ending is really good as is. But if they're going to make one, I will definitely see it. Okay, Entertainment Weekly's cover story is Infinity War. I think they have like five billion different covers with everybody, uh, all the big names that are in the movie uh, from Iron Man to Thanos. Um, so we've been learning about a lot about that this week, and you can read all the coverage on SlashFilm.com. But Brad, you've been uh, covering a lot of this. Uh, what do we know about Black Panther 2? We don't have any huge details on Black Panther 2, um, but we do have confirmation officially from Kevin Feige that it is absolutely happening. Uh, for a lot of you, that's probably just a foregone conclusion. You're probably facepalming yourself or being like, well, duh, no kidding, because <laughs> uh, the movie has made over $930 million at the box office globally already, so obviously Marvel's going to do a sequel for it. Um, but this is the first time we're hearing it officially out of Kevin Feige's mouth that it's definitely going to happen. Uh, previously, he had said that he hoped Ryan Coogler would come back to direct a sequel if they move forward with one. So it's pretty likely that Ryan Coogler will come back to direct. I can't imagine uh, he would be adverse to continuing this path for Black Panther, especially since when he was doing the publicity rounds for the first one, there was already some discussion about you know what he, uh, where he would like to see Black Panther go as a character. Uh, and T'Challa as as the king of Wakanda and whatnot. So, as far as... uh, I was going to say, after uh, Guardians Galaxy blew up, he kind of, like, went on... It seems like Marvel's kind of planning this cosmic universe based on that because of the success of that. Uh, You know, Wakanda was so popular, and the movie was so popular. Are we going to see some spinoffs? There's uh, the possibility of it. There's um, no solid plans that Kevin Feige was willing to... Uh, reveal or say, but he recognizes the fact that uh, Shuri was a big deal for a lot of people, as was Okoye and Nakia. Um, There has been confirmed that we'll see much more of Shuri in the forthcoming Marvel movies, whether that means Black Panther sequels, and obviously she's also in Infinity War. Uh, But I imagine she'll be around in whatever uh, future Marvel movies they have planned, since we don't know what's coming down the road for what was considered quote-unquote Phase 4. It's hard to say, you know, what her role will be. Um, We've talked before about how it would be kind of interesting to see if she would become Ironheart, uh, the new female black Iron Man from the comics. There was a little bit of backlash from from fans, though, I saw online about people that are were kind of like, we don't need to combine characters or change the comics like that. You know, we can have two, you know, different characters like that, which is fair, but that doesn't mean it's not an interesting idea if that's what they were were to do with Shuri, especially because there's no way she's going to become Black Panther soon since his story literally just started with his first, you know, movie in a franchise. So um, as far as any possible spinoffs, there's it's 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 a possibility. But Kevin Feige won't, won't commit to it at this point. He, uh, as he always says, uh, they're only focused on finishing the movies that they have uh, yes. in production, production right now, even though they're always thinking ahead. So yeah. I, I've I've been to Kevin Feige's office and they have this board of their projects for many many years to come. What is it like two decades or something insane? Um, yeah, which was covered up but, when I was there. But uh, speaking of which, 
Um, one thing that Kevin Feige would, would say that they would be doing much more of uh, and continuing to do after the success of Black Panther especially is we're going to be seeing a lot more diversity and representation in the Marvel movies going forward. Um, we don't necessarily know what that means, but there was Kevin Feige did specifically go out of his way that uh, a lot of people, um, cultures that haven't been well represented on the big screen will uh, be prominent in future Marvel movies. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what he means by that. And also, in addition to in front of the camera, they also have people that they have already hired for future movies that they're not ready to announce yet uh, that will be working behind the camera. I, I imagine both uh, as writers and directors. Also in the stories, uh, we kind of get a tease of what's going to happen to our favorite Marvel characters after Infinity War. HT wrote this up for the site, but Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so Feige also mentioned that some character stories are coming to a close while some are, quote, only just beginning. Uh, He says, I think they'll continue in surprisingly different and unexpected ways after these two Avengers films. And, you know, for a lot of us, we automatically assume that that means that a bunch of these characters are going to die. I think they've openly said that I think Robert Downey Jr.'s quote was that heads will roll in in these (laughs) new movies in some way. Um, But we're still not entirely sure who dies and and when and in what way and all of that kind of stuff. And it's interesting because Feige also mentioned, um, he said in this interview, quote, death isn't necessarily what we're talking about. If I talk a lot because I'm a big ass nerd about Star Trek, the next generation, all good things. That to me is one of the best series finales ever. That wasn't about death. Picard went and played poker with the crew, something he should have done a long time ago, right? So that was his his quote, and uh, I have not seen The Next Generation, but as HT mentions in her piece here, All Good Things was the series finale, and it, it essentially followed Picard as he found himself jumping around to different points in time, and that's something that we've seen uh, already in the Marvel Universe with Doctor Strange. You know, we know that there are uh, time jumping is a thing that the Marvel universe is, is well versed in at this point. And we know that like, for example, um, Captain Marvel is going to be taking place in the nineties. So there's a lot of, uh, flashback flash forward opportunities, uh, in that cinematic universe. So it's, it seems like there's going to be like a bittersweet quality to this. That's just me reading between the lines with what Feige is saying here. But, um, but you know, as Brad so, mentioned, so, so you don't usual, think it's going to end with Tony Stark having shawarma and playing poker with all the, the entire team? I mean, it doesn't sound like it, uh, but I don't know. There, there may be some sort of um, something where like a character knows that things are not going to end up well, but but the character has to go on living anyway. I don't know. That that's the, that would be like a, a more um, literal interpretation of what he's talking about with that reference to that next generation episode. Well, we'll have to see how that actually. Uh, you know, presents itself in Infinity War and Avengers 4. Interesting. Um, the Alma Drafthouse uh, previously announced that they're going to be creating a video store. They've now revealed more details on this video store that will offer free VHS rentals. Chris, what is going on here? Yeah, so it's going to open in the Raleigh, North Carolina Draft House, uh, and it's going to be called Video Vortex. And they're going to have thousands upon thousands of VHS titles, a lot of them rare, a lot of them out of print, a lot of things that haven't been transferred over to streaming or Blu-ray or DVD. And they're all going to be able to be rented for free. Um, uh, There's also going to be, you know, alcohol and stuff that you'll pay for. And that's how they're going to make this, you know, economically feasible. But if you're in the area and you want to rent free VHS tapes, 
uh, this is the place to go. They'll also be renting out actual VCRs too, which I think you have to pay for the VCRs. So if you don't have one, so if you live in Raleigh and you want to watch some VHS tapes, but, this is where to go. But what? What? Why? What, what is? What is the thought behind this? this? This is so baffling to me. I mean, like I said, a lot of this stuff hasn't been transferred over to Blu-ray or, or streaming yet. I mean, you know, there are thousands, maybe even millions of films that have yet to make that jump. Some that will never make that jump. So uh, there's, you know, if they're part of this collection, I could see the appeal there where, you know, you know, there's no other way to see this film. Here's, here's your chance. I mean, you know, the quality will never be as great as Blu-ray or, you know, the next you know, quality is getting better every day on Blu-ray and HDTV and all that stuff. But if you have no other way of watching a movie than VHS, I, I, I could see taking advantage of that. But I just don't understand, like, if they're not making any money on this, is it like that, like, a community, like, that is still, like, not wanting to go to movie theaters, they're stuck at their home watching stuff at home, and this is a way to trick them to go to the movie theater? I don't know. I mean, it's definitely a neat thing. It's definitely a niche thing, too, where, you know, it's not going to appeal to everyone, but... If you're a hardcore film fan, I mean, I, I don't know a lot about Raleigh, North Carolina. I don't know what the film community <laughs> is there, but yeah. if if they're you know if they're super hardcore you know cinephiles there who are into this, they would definitely take advantage of it for sure. Um, and we'll get back to you later with another crazy idea. But first, let's get to Brad, uh, who's going to tell us about uh, the Dune movie adaptation coming from Denis. Villeneuve, uh, it turns out it's going to be at least two movies. Yeah, the uh, idea is that it'll probably take them two years to make, and they're hoping to make two movies, possibly more, um, if they, if uh, Denny has, I guess, his way. Um, that's not entirely surprising. The um, the book is, in itself is quite a hefty read. Uh, depending on which version you get, it's it's right around 900 pages or so. And it's not easy to cram into a single movie, so expanding it to a couple makes sense. Um, whether or not audiences are on board for that kind of sci-fi epic kind of remains to be seen. Uh, we saw that they struggled a bit with Blade Runner 2049, which was some you know heavy, deep sci-fi. Uh, so it'll be, and Dune is kind of along those lines, if not a little bit weirder, uh, to say the least. So we'll see if audiences are on board with that uh it's you know this is a it's a classic sci-fi novel for sure uh, it came out in 1965 so it's got you know legacy going for it it's got fans for sure but i'm not sure if uh you know those fans are enough to to make it popular um you know and D- dune's always kind of had a a troubled history if you will of uh, being adapted you know uh, obviously it, 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 there was an attempt before by david lynch uh it was pretty poorly received in 1984 uh, there was uh, Jodorowsky tried to do his adaptation before that, and it never got off the ground. There's a whole documentary about it, which even if you know nothing about Dune, is a fascinating insight into the making of a movie that never got off the ground. Yeah, and you know his last film, Blade Runner, did not do well at the box office. Uh, Chris, do you think this film has the potential to do well enough to you know have you know a trilogy of of movies? I'm going to say no, not that I don't want it to, but I don't know. I feel like even though Dune does have that following, I don't think it's going to translate to the box office, but I, you know, I hope it turns out well. I I like his film, so I want it to turn out well, but I don't think it's going to be a hit. That's just me though. Okay. So on Kickstarter right now, there is a product 
that lets you swing through the air like Spider-Man. And when I posted this in the Slash Film Slack channel, Chris, I think the first thing that came out of your mouth was, someone's going to die. Yes. Um. <laughs> so, so tell us about this, because this looks insane. Yeah, so it's called Air Ropes, the Grappling Hook Experience. And uh, a gentleman, an inventor from the UK, he has created, they're basically cannons you strap on your arms and they shoot ropes out and you can swing from location to location, you know, just like Spider-Man in theory. So uh, he has this Kickstarter up and he's not trying to raise money to make more of the, the grappling hook arms. He's trying to raise money so he can buy a bunch more uh, air mattresses so he can swing above them to test this out more. And he also wants to buy like a big structure that, you know, they have at concerts where they have lighting rigs on. He wants to have that so he can swing from that. Look, when I was watching this video, I kept waiting for him to reveal, you know, it's a joke, but this is real. This is a real thing. And, um, and we should mention in the video, like, it's not like this is a prototype that, uh, you know, he just like has on a computer screen. He has built these things and you see him uh, on like this, like huge jungle gym kind of thing. Like, but probably what? three stories high him swinging from right yeah yeah he's only a few inches off the mat so you know in theory if you're doing it that way maybe you're safe but you know there's always i I just imagine this going wrong and either like pulling your (laughs) arm out of the socket or someone gets a hold of this and they go to the top of like a skyscraper to try it off and then they instantly die i mean i i don't (laughs) i don't know how this is even feasible. I mean, he says he's very committed to safety, but he honestly, you know, no offense to this gentleman, but he seems uh, insane in the video. So uh, maybe that's like part of his act. He's, he's trying to sell it that way, but I don't know. Uh, you can see for yourself, go check it out on slash film, watch the video and be amazed. <laughs> I only see two, two possible conclusions to this. Number one, somehow this is safe enough and you know, some theme parks with uh, less safety regulations, uh, you know, buy this technology to allow people to feel what it's like to swing as Spider-Man through like a city set. Or uh, we're all stupid. And this is actually a great technology that is going to be used by like the military or uh, uh, who knows, vigilantes. The, the An army of Spider-Men. Is that what you're saying, Peter? <laughs> That, that, that this could actually be something that, uh, you know, could be useful in society. Like, you know, police uh, <laughs> running around. <laughs> so if you guys have not watched this video yet, just the idea after watching the video and then hearing Peter, Peter take this even remotely seriously, you'll understand why it's very funny. Because the, <laughs> the image of cops like uniformed swinging through the city with this hey. particular tech is uh, is pretty damn hilarious hey when, when they announced the segue <laughs> that looked stupid and i probably was thinking that would be so stupid for a cop to be going around on the Segway. but the segue now still looks stupid but now every day i see cops on segways yeah I mean, I feel like there's a slight difference, but uh, but yeah, you could be hey, right. hey, if, hey, if hey. cops get these grappling hooks, they're just gonna start shooting them at people. <laughs> I'm am just wondering if if this guy succeeds at what he's trying to do, what is he gonna do with this technology? Where is he gonna sell it? Where is he like? I mean, it can't just be for his own uh, shits and giggles, right? I, I think in the video he talks about like opening his own 
like theme park area where you know in in the uk somewhere where people can come travel from all over the world and come and you know swing around like spider-man so i don't know maybe he's just gonna hold on to this idea for himself okay so you can go to slashfilm.com read the article watch the video uh you can find all the articles we talked about today on slashfilm.com and linkedin show notes including uh that tom cruise post 9-11 academy award monologue that was written by uh cameron crow uh and uh yeah so uh 